Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Welcome back to the show, everyone, and a big welcome back to our returning champion, Jay Carlos Menjivar of the Dial F for Film podcast. Carlos, how's it going? It's going well. Am I really the champion? I think you might hold the record right now for the most oh, awesome. episodes. It's either you or Jared. You've been on, is this your fourth visit or hmm. fifth? Maybe, yeah, maybe it is fourth. I, I can't, I don't think it's fifth. It's, it's probably okay. fourth. And I think Jared's only been on three times and we're, we're talking about the fourth, but you just beat him to it. Oh, sweet. I like that. <laughs> no, nothing against him. I, I actually don't know him, but I, I just like, you know, having yeah. that title. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, when, when uh, we get when we get to number five, I'll have to have make I'll have to make robes like Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, I, I did feel like I, I, I haven't been on your podcast in, in a while. And it's, it's nice to do someone else's podcast and talk about different, uh, different kind of movies that I normally uh, talk about. But it's just, I was thinking about it. And, and then I, we, you know, we, we tax and then we mentioned the release of uh, the new Kong Godzilla, and I thought maybe we can do something themed to that. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm on here, and I'm very excited for the discussion once we get to it. Oh yeah, it, these are going to be a fun pair of movies to talk about. I think, and for people listening, you guys already know we are in the middle of a big kaiju takeover here. We're going to have three episodes, and I believe you. This episode is going to fall second. I believe Rick's is going to be out first. So oh. uh, listeners will have heard that last week. Uh, we're doing this one. And then next week, we're going to have a kind of a crossover episode with all three of us. It's going to just be a crossover, I say. And we're going to have a roundtable episode with all three of us talking about Godzilla versus Kong and probably a lot of other kaiju films around that discussion. I'm, that's going to be a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I'm, I am very excited for the release of that movie, uh, which comes out at the end of this month. And then uh, I'm excited to talk about the movie shortly after its release. Uh, that uh, That's going to be great and a lot of fun. And I can't wait. This, this yeah. is going to be like the newest movie I've discussed on the show or the the, the fastest turnaround from a movie coming out to uh, yeah. talk about. Yeah, that's uh, cool, man. But how about what? how are things going over at Dial F? What do you... Uh... I'm listening, obviously, but talk about it. <laughs> how, how is it going over there? Yeah, well, uh, I, I think it's going well. I, I This year, I kind of did things a little bit differently where I have uh, episodes with just one movie. Uh, and normally, I, I have my guests pick from uh, vague or sometimes uh, obvious categories. And there's usually somewhere between three or five movies in there. Um, I, I, I'm still doing some of that uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the year, but I've sprinkled here and there. Uh, episodes where we talk about uh, guests' favorite movies 
um, that are found in the uh, 1001 movies you must see before you die. And that's been a lot of fun, uh, just talking and focusing about one movie that means a lot to, to, to the guest. And we get into really cool, uh, interesting conversations about the history of those movies and, and how they intertwine with people's lives. And I, I, re I really like that. Um, I have a lot of like ideas for the, for the remainder of the year. The, the single movie thing is just kind of to hold me over on weeks where I can't record or watch, you know, three movies uh, within that week. And at this point, I've gotten to where I have so many episodes banked that I haven't recorded like in two, two weeks, I think. I did, this is the first one that I've done in, in a while. And it's, uh, it's been nice because I've been able to just, after I watched the, the two movies we're going to talk about today, I was able to branch out and explore other things that I, I wanted to watch either from the same country or just similar in style. And, and that's been really nice and, and relaxing. So I think I, I started off the, the year pretty well as far as the podcast goes. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a mixture of things right now with uh, the, the favorite movies and the traditional categories and stuff. And um, you will be on an, a special episode that also ties into this as well soon. Oh, yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. I, I feel you, though, on kind of changing things up. Uh, I, I mean, especially you doing five movies a week. I, sometimes I feel overwhelmed doing two movies a week. And <laughs> you, you had to do five, and you had to do research, and you had to prepare, produce, and edit your show. And, yeah, it's, man. I mean, it was fun doing as a as a guest doing those five movies because it really felt like I was, especially like like thinking of the Antonioni movies, I always feel like I'm pronouncing that like the whitest way possible. I, I do it too. I'm pretty sure there's, <laughs> I, I, I always feel weird saying like European names, like in their proper ways. Like, well, I'm not really like Italian or French or Polish. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Yeah. So it, it, uh, especially with Antonioni, I, I felt like I was really doing a dive on a, on a director. Like it really felt like, like fun to kind of immerse yourself doing five movies but yeah i i, I worried about you like having to do all of that every week like oh gosh you're like gonna get burnt out but three movies is still manageable yeah well and also like we were doing uh five antonioni movies which is like it's not it's like it's different than doing like let's say like five different like kaiju movies or something like that like <laughs> the you definitely have to be focused the Antonioni movies are definitely longer <laughs> um and 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 you know you can't look away because you might miss something uh and you know they're not really story based it's more about characters and stuff so it's 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 it, it does feel like a bit of a chore at least on my end because I have to pay attention like really pay attention and and stay away from my phone and also they're not in English so except for well I guess two of them were but it's just you have to definitely be in that headspace and, and that was tough but the conversation was fun as hell because I, I don't think I'd, I, I'd ever talked about his movies with with anyone so that that was cool and you know finally get to share a director with someone that 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 would that I thought would appreciate that and, and good call on you picking someone because we could have gone obvious and you know someone we would have known but you chose someone that you, you weren't too familiar with and I think that 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 was very exciting. It did feel a little bit like homework doing it at times, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it was also very rewarding. Like yeah. I I really enjoyed watching and then the discussion was a lot of fun. So that was 
uh, people can listen. Go back and listen to that episode. It's really great. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a lot great of fun, to do. Yeah. I it was great to do. I have. I can't be judgmental of or you know, objective <laughs> about it. Uh, hopefully, everybody else enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a, it was a great one. I, I I love doing that one. Uh, our topic today, like I said earlier, it is a kaiju takeover, and we're doing a couple of. Well, we're we're leading up to Godzilla versus Kong. And so we're leading up to that in part today by talking a couple of reboots slash remakes of Godzilla and Kong. So I think now is a good time. We'll take a break. Listen, you guys listen to a trailer. We'll be right back with our discussion. It is 1976. The American merchant vessel Petrox Explorer has just set sail from the port of Surabaya in search of oil. What they find will shock the world. We may be sailing into the history books. She's alive! You know, maybe my luck has changed. They will discover an uncharted island that is the home the most incredible creature on the face of the earth. A creature called Kong. Dino De Laurentiis presents the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. Though it follows the same basic template of the original King Kong, the 1976 remake switches things up with a more on-the-nose environmentalist message inspired by the then-ongoing energy crisis. Rather than heading to Skull Island to film a movie, the unwary adventurers are hoping to find oil deposits. Joining them is Jeff Bridges as a stowaway academic and castaway Jessica Lang as a young ingenue, sole survivor of a pleasure yacht that sank somewhere in the South Pacific. So this one I had never seen before. I mean, I've seen the original King Kong several times. Of course, I've seen the Peter Jackson remake several times. This one I just never watched. And I caught it a parts of it through the years. Um, a few years ago, I was working at a job and in the break room, they were watching this on cable. And I caught maybe the first 20 minutes or so and thought like, oh, this looks pretty interesting. This looks pretty good. And I just never got to it. I, to be honest, I was very uninterested in it uh, I, I kind of have I, maybe maybe it's an unfair prejudice but I, I kind of have this idea in my head that 1970s remakes are, are pretty much going to be pale imitations of the original and I'm not going to spoil it with <laughs> if I think that is the case here um, well yeah I will what the hell I did not like this movie I, I am not a fan <laughs> Uh, but I, I don't want to like, I don't want to get too much into that until I give you a chance. Like, what did you think? Had you seen this before? I'm assuming you had. This is like I, I feel like I'm kind of in the minority by not having seen it until now. Well, I am included in that minority with you as well, because this is the first time that I watched this. I was already planning to watch this one uh, prior to you asking me to, to come on the show um, as preparation for Congress Godzilla. And I have to say that I'm also on board with that I didn't like uh, this movie either. 
And I, I know you like to keep things positive on your podcast. And I was afraid because I'm like, I wonder if Aaron likes it because I'm sure not enjoying this movie very much. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I really, I sat down, I put my phone away and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay attention. And, you know, I want to have something to say about this movie and what I really don't like about this movie. And I'm not against remakes and uh, reboots and things like that. But this movie just for a studio movie just wasn't ex as exciting as I needed it to be. And I think that was the problem. It, it just, it wasn't cutting it. And I, I've seen the original so many times and that movie means, means a lot to me, but I don't know. I just, I was not finding, I, I really tried to find the groove in this movie that I was supposed to feel, but it never came. And there were a few things that I liked here and there, but other than that, I, I just found myself really not enjoying this movie yeah same it is a movie that really lags a lot i mean this movie is half an hour longer than the original and yeah. it doesn't have those cool dinosaurs oh. and it doesn't have the overture that the original has yeah so this movie is i don't know i did like kind of follow this up to to get the taste out of my mouth i did watch the original godzilla <laughs> or not godzilla sorry the original king kong King Kong, yeah. and that movie it moves right there there's plenty of time for it to slow down there are moments of silence in the movie but it also escalates continuously and this one does not it just meanders a lot um, a lot i was not really enjoying like it's got some great actors in it jeff jeff bridges of course charles groden i think i think everybody's doing fine work jessica lang i will say if i'm going to say anything positive about this movie it, it's jessica lang who is maybe the best character in the movie she's certainly the most developed she's the only character that really has any depth uh duan and she vacillates between kind of like new age dreaminess, ditziness, and like just melancholy bouts of self-awareness where she kind of like realizes the ridiculousness of herself and that her life isn't really going the way she wants it to, even though she she kind of like keeps trying to project just the idea of a, of a Hollywood ingenue. <laughs> yeah, her, <laughs> I do like her character. I like how uh, it's very kind of bombastic character and... I love I love the energy that she brings to the movie. She's definitely a highlight. <laughs> it's just it's the way that she's sort of introduced is very interesting because it's like a shipwreck that happens off screen and she's just sort of in the water and then you know this the the characters in this movie happen to to come across her and then she ends up, you know, her name is Dawn, she ends up, you know, explaining where that name comes from and it's like dawn except the letters are reversed and <laughs> they go on this whole explanation of where like the name originates from and they go on this thing of where the name originates <laughs> and it's kind of like the equivalent of explaining a joke that doesn't work to people we're just like okay we get it like at first when i like when i heard it and because i usually watch movies with subtitles and i saw it i was like oh that's weird maybe they like messed up the the, the subtitles on this and then they said it again and the subtitles and it's the same thing and she goes on the explanation of uh, of the name and her character is just it's so much different from the character that Faye Ray plays and the ditziness that you, you you're talking about is really the thing that 
that is entertaining about her character. And I didn't think about it this way until you mentioned it, but yeah, her character is probably the best developed character in the whole movie. And she's not even really, I mean, on paper, she is kind of sort of supposed to be the lead, but it's really about uh, uh, Jeff Bridges' character and, and Charles Grodin's. And the movie doesn't, I her, her story is far more interesting. I feel like if the focus was shifted to that a little bit more, maybe the, the movie would have been better. But it, it, it just really, it feels like it's kind of all over the place where it doesn't really decide what type of movie it's trying to be because it is after all an adventure movie with, you know, action and stuff. We don't really get a lot of that throughout the movie. No, we don't. And what we do get is pretty unspectacular, especially compared to the original, which still like I, it's stop motion. It obviously doesn't look realistic in the way that we expect special effects in movies today but it the original still has that charm to it and is directed and you are kind of like wowed by how in 1933 they were able to get these these shots like they they were able to like blend the stop motion and the forced perspective and everything so it, it looks it's still pretty impressive and like i said in the original i mean we're not here to talk about the original we don't have to like focus on too much but that original does keep escalating to the point where like halfway through the movie or you get to that hour mark and things are just insane there are dinosaurs there are pterodactyls there's strange like bipedal alligator creatures that are climbing up to eat these sailors like people are just like dropping like flies at an hour in and it's just like one fight after another between Kong and the t-rex and that giant snake there is a momentum in the original King Kong. And in this one, it really meanders. It doesn't focus enough on anything. And yet it also feels like it focuses too much on a lot of really boring stuff. I don't know. I, I You're right. I don't like to be negative. This movie did have moments I liked. And maybe in a minute we'll be talking about that. But I, I just found this incredibly dull and very scattered. Yeah, going back, just, just comparing it to, to the original how much time is spent in the original on Skull Island with Kong actually fighting the creatures that live there is such a big thing that I was hoping would happen in this movie. And we get that fight with the giant like serpent thing, which was fine, but that's really all we get on Skull Island. We don't get much else. And that really bummed me out because I was hoping that at least it would build up to that. I mean, the, the way that scene ends with the giant snake is cool because we see that in, I feel like every Kong where he snaps the, the jaw of whatever creature and I, it looks great in this movie. But other than that, like it is such a letdown that they don't really explore Skull Island as much as some of the other movies do. And it's like, this is a movie that is being backed by a studio in the seventies and yet where where are all the uh, cool you know effects and stuff like that like a lot of the stuff is uh, a lot of those things are missing and also i guess the only other uh, exciting scene on skull islands where they're, they're all crossing the the tree uh, uh across that like canyon yeah um but it all it is it, like okay here we go and 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 it doesn't it ends too quickly it's really one of two scenes that are really any that are exciting at all in the movie. And then when I'm looking at that scene, 
all I can think of is like, this looks so artificial and it looks the same way that a movie like the original Kong from the 30 looks. Like why, why is this like studio artifice still part of this movie where it's so obvious? Like it's obviously, you know, a set, the sky looks painted. It, I don't have a problem with that. But for this movie, it just seemed like they would go, it, it just seems like a lot of the same techniques that were visual techniques that were used in the 30s are still being used in the 70s where it could have gone a different direction. Um, this is obviously before CGI, but I just felt like they only really focus on the actual Kong character where it wasn't stop motion anymore. But outside of that, like the sets, I still felt look the same. Yeah, and that scene in particular is a good contrast because it is a it is the exact same scene that's in the 30s version yeah. with a slight different difference in that the 30s version is much more focused. He comes and he shakes that and the sailors fall off. In this one, he comes and he shakes the log and the sailors fall off one by one <laughs> by one. Like they're waiting for their cue. It's so obviously like, oh, it's my turn to fall off now. And we have to watch the very unconvincing effects of the bodies falling into the <laughs> canyon. And yeah. In the, in the first one, it's like he shook it and a bunch of them fell off. And then he shook it again and the last one fell off. And that was kind of it. But in, in this one, it, it you said it's over too soon. I think it went on too long for what it was. And that's kind of the problem with the movie is it's so, it is both so brief and yet too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out like, why did they not have dinosaurs in this? Why didn't they have anything other than that one large snake, which I didn't think was very impressive. The snake itself, it looked cool. That first shot you get of it, of it kind of like coming up on, Jessica Lang, who's in the foreground, that yeah. I think is is one of the better blended elements of you know somebody in front of a green screen or whatever you want to call it. That that I think looked cool, but I just thought the snake itself was was kind of shitty looking. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. The only thing I like about that scene is when when Kong rips open his jaw <laughs> because it's so excessive um, and bloody. Well, uh, <laughs> that, that's the thing. This movie is fairly bloodless. And yet there are two moments in this movie, and we'll get to the other <laughs> one, that are so, like, over the top. And they're not incredibly over the top. It's just yeah. in a movie that is like this that feels almost like it's just for a family film. To get mm -hmm. that bloody, I was a little bit surprised by. But, no, I was looking up why there aren't dinosaurs in this movie. And Lorenzo Semple Jr., who wrote this, had, uh, like, early on, they decided not to have the dinosaurs, partly because they wanted to focus more on the romance between Duan and Kong and budgetary constraints, which when I read that they were like, Dino De Laurentiis, who, who is kind of, <laughs> he's kind of like a, a second tier blockbuster producer. Like he's, he's produced all these movies that I, some of them I think are great. I, I like a lot of the movies he produced, but he's also just like, He's, he's just a little bit higher than Roger Corman on the respectability scale. In fact, I, I maybe I respect Roger Corman more, but um, yeah, I agree <laughs> in terms of like Hollywood hierarchy. He's yeah, he's not really he's not quite a list, but he would make these movies that were very much a trying to be a list. When I read that he didn't want to do stop motion dinosaurs because of the budget involved. I was like, that is the problem. Because you cannot do a King Kong movie on a budget. 
Like you can't. You need to really go all out. And that's what's so impressive about the 30s version is like, holy crap, the sets that they had to build to look like that jungle, the cliff, the, I mean, they built a big giant Kong in this, but the stop motion, the variety of creatures in it, everything in that movie is very opulent. And this movie does feel like they got they got good sets that are not sets but they got like a good location that island is very picturesque but everything else just looks a little bit like run down yeah and i, I mean i guess that kind of explains why they spend mo mo most of the time on that ship in the in the beginning because there's a lot of exposition and we find out that jeff bridges's character is like a a stowaway on the ship he's an academic at um i can't remember what college he said or university he says he's at but yeah. that he's he's been studying the myth of this island for years. Mm -hmm. Like he he gives them all this thing like, oh, in the 1700s, a Spaniard was found and talked about landing on the island of the skull or something like that. I don't know. His character is pretty one dimensional. I mean, they all yeah. are. Like like mm -hmm. I said, Duan only is the only one that seems to get any depth. And that's good because she's supposed to be having a quote unquote romance with King Kong, which is it just me? This movie was very surprisingly sexual with Kong. <laughs> in, yes, it was. <laughs> in, in dialogue, especially. I mean, not, not, not that there's like a lot of anything going on. It's just like, there's a lot of discussion about what Kong wants to do with Duan mm -hmm. with, with direct references to him being horny for her. And then, yeah. And then Charles Grodin says like a couple of times that Kong tried to rape her. Yeah, here, here's the thing with that. The problem is that I feel like all the human characters are sort of implying that because I feel like the director and the writers are implying that. I don't think, I mean, it's this giant ape. Like, there's no physical way for anything to happen between them, really, like at all. And I feel like they were trying to go in that direction where they keep mentioning that Kong keeps, uh, that was trying to sexually assault Duan, where it's, I think, and I mean, I, I don't know how to feel about this because I don't think it's, <laughs> it's the Kong. I, obviously, it, we're talking about a character that's not really a person. Like, it's just his, this guy in a suit. But it just, to me, it just felt like the direction that the filmmakers were going were like, okay, this is like a sort of, uh, it's a love story with this guy who's a little over-sexual and is kind of inappropriate and and weird with with uh with duan but then i just feel like none of that really makes sense in this context that i just think that the filmmakers are sort of misguided in what they were trying to do because there's a scene where kong is just kind of like caressing her and her top comes off i don't think that was actually like for Kong's benefit, I think that was for the audience's benefit or for the filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. It was just felt so like forced, I feel to me, like this is the angle we're gonna go. So we're just gonna push that. And like you said, they keep mentioning this stuff in conversation. It's like, I don't, I never felt like there was a serious connection between Kong and Duan at all. It was just like, this is what's presented, but yeah. we're not gonna go any deeper. I think the, um... The original Kong is certainly less creepy in that respect. Yeah. Like it is, he is kind of fascinated and obsessed with Fay Ray, but like I never, I never get a sexual component from what, from that original King Kong. And yeah, he, he's almost smitten by, by, by yeah. her, not, yeah. 
And certainly I don't get one from the Peter Jackson version, which kind of gives them a little bit more of a, a, a bit more of a relationship in terms of like mutual, I don't know if you can call it mutual respect, but like they, they, they like each other, but it, it never gets sexual to me. But this one, like I felt really uncomfortable with how they were making it explicitly sexual. Yeah, I, I will say this, because I, I really do enjoy the, the Peter Jackson version of King Kong. And I will say that uh, that version of Kong does focus more on the love aspect that the first one kind of grazes over a little bit and doesn't, it's not really the focus of. Yeah. And that this movie explicitly try to make, I think that the 2005 Kong is sort of the middle ground between that because I think that that movie does the love story in a really respectful way where it's not weird and creepy. It does seem like Kong is trying to win the affection of uh, Naomi Watts' character in that movie by doing these gestures, whether it's protection or, you know, being defensive towards uh, some of the other people that are trying to, uh, that were, that came with her that are trying to claim her back. And, uh, and I do think that that movie does a better job with what the 70s version that we saw is trying to attempt. I think that it, the 70s version was probably trying to go into that territory of like, there is a love relationship in here that's not really explicitly talked about. But in this case it was, and it, and it totally doesn't work because by the end of the movie, we know that Duan feels a certain way about Kong. She is almost in a way affectionate towards Kong and understanding and empathetic to what, how Kong is being treated once Kong is in New York. Yeah, I don't know, this movie, well, it was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. I said that earlier. He was kind of early on in his feature film career. At this point, he'd written what was Three Days of the Condor and The Parallax View. He would go on to write the Flash Gordon movie. But at this time, he was still kind of best known for developing the Batman 1966 series. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a bunch of episodes and the movie in, in that series. And I mean, Batman 66 is one of my favorite things ever. That ba or first Batman movie in the 60s is fantastic. I love I, it, yeah. It's great. I think Lorenzo Semple Jr. Ha has done some good stuff, but I also don't think he was the right person for this. Kind of, he, he kind of like has said that he wanted audiences were more sophisticated, and so he wanted to acknowledge that by making the movie more humorous. And I don't really think any of the humor lands like you, you were talking about like Dwan, like it's a, it's explaining a joke that didn't work the first time. Charles Grodin in this movie, who's very funny, almost, almost all the time is doing what he can with this character. But the yeah. best he can do is that kind of like unnatural rictus grin that he puts on his face. <laughs> and the mustache is doing a lot of the work. Like he, yeah. He's doing what he can. I think everybody in here is doing what they can, but it just isn't, it doesn't work. Oh, I, I did like Rene Auberjonois oh, yeah. as the, the scientist on the trip. Like he he's kind of like he's half interested. He's kind of a bit amused by Char or like whenever Charles Grodin, like whenever something bad happens to Charles Grodin, he's like, oh, you're not going to like this. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. There's fun stuff in this, but I think I just think for what. Well, I mean, it's not like you can't do a funny King Kong because the original version has moments that are very funny. Yeah. And the sequel, Son of Kong, is still fun. And that is almost just completely a comedy. So it could be done. I just, it all felt flat here. 
like yeah. I didn't I didn't laugh at anything in this movie. I would just kind of have like, oh, that must have been a joke moment. There, there are two moments uh, of examples of jokes that don't work in this movie that I wrote down in my notes. And one of them happens about two or three times in the movie. But the reason that <laughs> that Dwan survives that shipwreck is because she chose to not watch the movie that everyone else was watching on that yacht. And that was the movie Deep Throat, which is a pornographic movie that was, uh, that was a hit in the 70s. And they mentioned Deep Throat like two or three times throughout the movie where it just, it kind of dates the movie a little bit because it seems like it's maybe at the time it was funny to, 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 to mention Deep Throat and it would get a laugh. But now it's like, okay, it's just like, it's such a timely reference. And the other thing, apparently the company that, that, that the oil company that, that is a part of this movie, I think they're called like Petrolex or something like that. Petrox. Yeah, Petrox. There's a scene where they won't allow Dwan to go on shore because of the da danger that it poses. And she says, why, what do you like? She tries to convince herself, convince them to try to let her get on shore, you know, to get pictures because uh, Jeff Bridges is also happens to have a camera and be a photographer. And, and she is making an argument towards coming online, keeps mentioning that, that, that she has that oil company's credit card, which it just like, it, it just kept going. Like, why does she keep talking about their credit card? I was like, do oil companies normally have their own like credit cards that, oh, I guess they do now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, yeah. Like she just gets, I was like, well, like 76 and stuff like that. But she just like, oh, I have your credit card. So I support your business. So you have to let me go on this expedition. It was just like, it felt like the movie, like those two scenes in particular, it just felt like the movie was trying to be light, which I have no problem with. But I just felt like it, like who's talking about credit cards and when is that ever like a hit as far as a joke goes? Like <laughs> it just felt so forced and just the humor doesn't land a lot of the times. Well, there's another joke in there that I thought you were going to go for when you mentioned the oil company mm -hmm. because the oil company's name is Petrox or Pet Rocks. Oh, which, I, I, I didn't put that together. <laughs> which was a then current fad as well 19 you know like mid 1970s yeah. uh so stupid <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um yeah it's it's just like things like that that just don't just they don't come together it just no. feels like they're really trying hard to you know make it work and make it fun and i like a fun movie you know if i don't have to think but it's entertaining and it's fun i i am all for it and it's just for this movie it just wasn't coming out like it just there was nothing that i could really catch on with i think we should also talk about the look of king kong in this movie mm -hmm. rick baker and carlo rombaldi did the effects and rick baker of course it, it, he loves making monkey suits yeah. <laughs> like that, that's kind of like his i mean this must have been and maybe still continues to be just a career dream to work on a king kong film mm -hmm. and he's in the the costume it does not look good i don't think king kong looks good especially when you get into close into close-ups and you can see the seams in the costume there's moments where it's a close-up on kong's face and you can see there's like a centimeter between the eyes and the mask 
Yeah. And, and some of that, well, I'm not going to put all the blame on him because apparently he had a very contentious working relationship with Carlo Rombaldi. And so I think some of the masks might have been Carlo Rombaldi at work. It's maybe not all him because a lot of the blame has to go to the director for filming it from that angle when it's going to show the, the fact that it's clearly a man in a costume, which we all know, but you're supposed to keep the illusion. He himself is, has been, has said he's very disappointed with how the, the costume looks in this, but I, I don't know. It, there's something about the way Kong moved because he's not really trying to move like a gorilla in this movie. This isn't, this isn't Andy Serkis or, or, you know, playing Kong a, as a gorilla. This is just him walking around like a guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's just silly looking to me. I'm, I'm really kind of worried about how some of listeners are going to react to this. I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm hoping I'm not just tearing apart a movie that you love and like poking holes in it in ways that I'm misunderstanding, but it, I don't think it looked good at all. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I will agree that once you get to like, if you if you choose to go for a close up, then I assume I'm assuming as a filmmaker, then you're choosing to kind of show people how good something is. And I think that Kong looks better from afar than he does from like the close ups, because all I can think of is like, oh, there's a you know, there's a guy in there like in a suit and it you're supposed to be in a way distracted by all of that, even if you are thinking it like you shouldn't be able to see the seams uh, to any of it. And it should be, and I think that's the pro biggest problem with the movie that you can see the fact that this is a movie and a Hollywood movie at that. And that those things are the things that that are supposed to distract you from the fact that it is a movie are not working for the audience as it, it's just, it's, it, it's also obvious that it's a movie and I know we're watching a movie, but it's there and you can see it and you can't help but acknowledge it. And it takes you away from it. I feel like it just doesn't, it doesn't work. I, in, in, in a lot of ways, it, the, the movie itself doesn't work. And I, it, it sucks because I really wanted to like this because this is, I like this kind of movie. And the original Kong is, is so good. And it's, you know, almost a hundred years old now. And it, and it works better than this movie from the mid seventies. Yeah, completely, completely. Uh, we talked about the shocking gore. Like, it's not shocking mm -hmm. gore. If I had seen that, put that scene in the 1930s, got, uh, King Kong, God damn, why do I keep saying Godzilla? <laughs> you really want to talk about Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so put that scene in the 1930s Kong and it, just make it black and white. Not that shocking. Like, there, there yeah. is blood in that movie. This movie is so bloodless, it gets to that, it was kind of shocking. The other yeah. shocking moment is the end of this movie when Kong dies because it's been pretty much tame and bloodless aside, you know, from the weird bestiality references. And then suddenly at the end of the movie, King Kong has been transported into the boardroom scene from Robocop. They put uh -huh. so many squibs on King Kong and it's just blood pack after blood pack is going off on this giant gorilla. Yeah. It was surprising to me that like, they were just saving it all for that one couple of like that one, like 30 seconds or so at the end of the movie. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was really, I, I, I did feel bad for Kong in that scene. It just felt like they had some kind of vendetta over the character. Cause he, that is the perfect example 
the Robocop, but it, he is blasted to hell on, you know, the top of one of the, the towers at the World Trade Center. And it is, it is excessive. Like it goes on for a good minute. Like it just goes on for a while. And it's really like just the movie in, had yeah like the movie i think the movie's rated pg right if i'm not mistaken well probably i think so but that that's 1970s yeah. pg right yeah they could still so, get away with that's questions. yeah that's true that's true so like if, if if you're going into this movie and you're like oh it's pg and you're expecting like your pg from like now it like that scene alone it's like i think that would have at least a pg-13 or just like a, an r or something just because it's so bloody like what <laughs> like the movie and, and also if we just talk about like the fact once once kong is in new york you think that like at least the ending to this movie is going to redeem the rest of it and it's just it's not exciting at all either and i really wanted it to be once he, kong comes into contact with a, like that rail train you think, oh, you know, this is where it begins, but it really doesn't. I think like they end up evacuating like uh, Manhattan Island. So there's like no people. So Kong is just really after Dwan and there's really not much destruction in the city. And that's kind of what I was hoping for. And there's just not, it's like in, in, in on Skull Island, they had one or two things that they planned. Same thing for the New York stuff. And then that's it it just needed a progression of action that is just not apparent in this movie. And up until the end, when you think that it's going to get good, it really doesn't get good. It's just like this movie was just cosmetically updated for a seventies audience by substituting airplanes with helicopters by, instead of doing empire state building, doing the twin towers. It's just like, what, like the movie just felt like, Oh, we need to, you know, this movie needs a facelift. And this is what we got because that's how the movie feels. But then they scale back on so many different things. The, this movie did not need a facelift, or I should say the, the original did not yeah. need a facelift. Despite the fact that I do quite enjoy Peter Jackson's King Kong. I've watched that several times. He at least is coming for coming at it from the perspective of like somebody who clearly has been moved by the original King Kong mm -hmm. and, and, People can argue whether or not it needs to be made or whatever, but it, he clearly came at it from a place of love. And this did seem like, like I guess even from the production, because Dino De Laurentiis kind of snagged the rights to King Kong after hearing that Michael Eisner was trying to get a remake on board, or like a remake made. And yeah. so he, he snagged it before these other studios, these other bigger studios could get it done. And it does just seem like, like every aspect of it was like, I don't care. It's going to make us money. Yeah. Um, before we move away from that ending, like this is one of the moments that I really like in the movie is after King Kong falls and he's dying on the street. I was actually very upset by this because the soundtrack gets very muted. Like all of the dialogue and everything that uh, like the people shouting on the street is very muted. King Kong's dying heartbeat it kind of overtakes the, the soundtrack and you get this POV shot of Kong lying on the, the pavement, looking down at his chest as reporters start crawling all over his chest to take pictures. And it was super upsetting. Yeah. And the movie unfortunately doesn't earn that. Like I, I, I feel no emotional 
investment in Kong or or you know any of the relationships in the movie yeah the original focuses on like fame and stardom and Hollywood and things like that and I feel like this movie was trying to focus on some of the effects of capitalism and colonialism but it doesn't like it doesn't it just sort of mentions them and doesn't really go in deeper about them because there's like the line I forget who utters the line but about uh, taking their god in reference to the the people yeah. that inhabit Skull Island. Jeff Bridges in another moment that I like that isn't given much much. Yeah, that was such a great moment because I feel like that could have been like the whole thesis of the movie and and the theme, but none of the like you said by that point none like that line is so good, but none of it has been earned because the rest of the movie doesn't really focus on that. And I feel like it was trying to by putting uh, the oil company as sort of the the face of this like capitalistic venture out to exploit uh, this island that, you know, is just a legend and there's indigenous people living there. And that could have been something really good, especially a new focus and shift from the 30s to the 70s and it doesn't it doesn't go there that really it, it got me thinking like wow like the the movie really could have gone in this whole uh exploitation and colonialism and how cultures steal other cultures legacies and erases them and and, and turns them into you know entertainment and, and and things like that and it doesn't go there which is disappointing it's just like the one offline that he that Jeff Bridges has and then that's it and it's like well you, you got to build on that you can't just that can't just be your goal to end on that you have to offer that you know evidence throughout your entire movie and how that affects and I think it's all very surface level oh yeah this movie is is just kind of uh disappointing I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add but I I want to put this in here before we we move on yeah there is a tv version this became a like it, well it was a it was a box office hit but it kind of came new life a couple of years later when they put it on tv they made it a two-night event they added 45 minutes of footage there were however oh my God. Like, however long and bloated we think this movie is there is a 45 minute longer version wow and it that was, puts it at three hours <laughs> yeah it was spread over two nights but that's still frankly ridiculous yeah it did add more to his rampage at, in new york Would, okay if if that's the case that's what i find weird like if they didn't have money to to to, to make the you know the movie the way they wanted to and they have like a three-hour version of it why not cut out some of the other boring stuff and leave the action stuff because like i'm sure that, that probably would have added to the pacing of the movie and just would have made it a better movie all like just throughout because I feel like a lot of the thing that bogs this movie down is the dialogue and the exposition and a lot of that stuff that's just like really unnecessary especially since we know we're going to end up on Skull Island because that's what happens and we know we're going to end up in New York because that's what ends up happening like this movie sort of presents itself like it has twists and turns and that it's going to change things but it really doesn't and it just kind of goes along being the same a sort of a revamp of the original it, it never treads really new ground even though the thematic arc of the movie is barely explored interestingly i mean this might be a good segue if you're if you're done or yeah. if you also want to say we can do that no yeah go ahead our next movie also has an example of there being an alternate version where they kind of like kind of 
try to get rid of a lot of the the dialogue and and make it more just pure action. And so we kind of have an example of how maybe that might have worked. Obviously, different movies, but it'll be a, a, a an interesting object lesson, maybe. Uh, so if you're ready, we can move on to our next pick. Unless you have more you want to say. No, yeah, that's in Hong Kong. In 1956, he first appeared on motion picture screens across the country. His impact on audiences was instantaneous and unprecedented. His acting technique was revolutionary. His presence, overwhelming. He possessed more raw talent than any performer of his generation. He soon became an international legend, a giant who took the world by storm. Then, suddenly, at the height of his fame, he retired from motion pictures. Now, he is back, and he's more magnificent, more glamorous, more devastating than ever. Prepare yourself. The greatest star of all has returned. The Return of Godzilla. After several decades of Godzilla sequels, spin-offs, and team-ups, and increasingly fantastical movies, Toho decided to wipe the slate clean for the 30th anniversary of the Big G. Return of Godzilla acts as a direct sequel to the original Gojira film, documenting Godzilla's first appearance since 1954. And this is not the only time that they, they will do this. Toho has done this with a couple of more movies since. Uh, I believe this is the first time they decided to just go back directly to the more serious kind of uh, anti-nuke tone of the original. Now this is, well, we'll get into this, how this is kind of my first Godzilla movie. Before we get to that, I want to say this is the first time I've seen Return of Godzilla in its original Japanese form. I know that's primarily been the way that it's been presented on DVD and home video in recent years. But the version that I always saw was Godzilla 1985, uh, which was a heavily edited and shortened American version. I really enjoyed this movie. This isn't like my favorite. This isn't maybe even in my top five Godzilla movies, but I thought the, the tone was pretty good. I, I don't think all of it quite works the way they want it to, but I, I really enjoyed this, the story. I really enjoyed how anti-nuclear it becomes. I really enjoyed the fact that it, it kind of becomes this battle of wills between three nations as well with the Soviet Union and America trying to pressure Japan to use, or to use nuclear weapons. Yeah, I, I felt like most of this pretty much worked for me. And I know it's not the most highly regarded Godzilla film, but it was, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. Well, how about you? Had you seen this one before? Uh, yes, this is my second time watching it, but the first time I watched it was actually last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like, I watched it twice. Uh, what, you know, I, 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 when I watched it last weekend, it, it was my first time I had, I had never watched it before, but I feel like I had seen clips of this maybe when I was a kid, because I have a pretty long history with Godzilla movies. And it was something that I, I liked as a, as a very young kid, I used to have Godzilla toys. Um, and I had asked my mom about that recently because I, I couldn't remember, like, why did I have like random Godzilla toys? Because I don't have I didn't have anything else from other like uh, 
other like franchises or anything like that. And she told me that I really like Godzilla when I was very young. So I've always enjoyed the Godzilla movies. And I remember really being obsessed with uh, <laughs> Roland Emmerich's version of Godzilla in the late 90s as a kid. But it, I think it all stems from uh, the older stuff. And I recently, and this is actually inspired by the release of the Kong uh, Skull Island movie from a few years back, where I decided I would watch all the Godzilla movies. And I finally finished that last weekend when I watched this one um, and Shin Godzilla, which were, I think, the last two that I needed to watch to complete this. But overall, Godzilla 85, it's not like you said, it's not it's not like in my top five, but it's a lot of fun. I liked it. I enjoy it a lot. So I had no problem rewatching it for this podcast. I mean, I just watched it for the first time a week ago and I, there were no complaints when we were talking about doing this for the podcast. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll watch it again. And I just had a lot of fun with this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's everything a Godzilla movie needs to be. And it includes the late 80s uh, or mid 80s Cold War stuff that I didn't think that this movie would benefit from, but it actually does and works uh, for the most part on a lot of different levels. And I really like that geopolitical aspect of capturing what it was like in the 80s and just during the Cold War, which is like, to think that a Godzilla movie would perfectly encapsulate like the geopolitical landscape of the 80s is just incredible. And I really like that about this movie. It, this movie is just a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I will I will agree. So my history with Godzilla is this, like I said, this is kind of my first Godzilla movie I ever saw. I actually saw it as Godzilla in 1985, the American, uh, the Americanized version with Raymond Burr reprising his role from the American Godzilla King of the Monsters in 1956. Yep. I was about eight years old. I remember because it was kind of a new release. My, I think my aunt rented it for me. Like I, I don't have specific memories of the movie as much as I have specific memories of like sitting in the living room where the TV posi was positioned, <laughs> all of the furniture and stuff around me in my grandparents' home that I grew up in and the look of Godzilla, just the idea of Godzilla. And so I was eight years old. Godzilla has always been kind of, kind of emotionally pleasing to me, like the, the just kaiju movies in general, even though I am not the biggest fan or scholar of these movies. I, I say I'm not the biggest fan only because uh, my buddy Rick, who was just on the last episode, we're going to be talking to him on the next episode in the roundtable. He really knows his stuff. And I cannot, I feel bad like saying, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like a big fan when compared to what he, uh, like his fandom. No, I, I totally feel you because I'm always reluctant to say that I'm a huge Godzilla fan because I love Godzilla movies and now as of last weekend i have seen all of them but i can tell you that i don't remember the plots to a lot of them and i couldn't tell you the name of all the monsters but i know that i really love godzilla movies like there's a certain excitement that comes right when i hit play when I, like just the beats like when i see godzilla when there's a hint of godzilla when there's a hint of another monster in that movie when I see that other monster, it's just like, I just, it's so, like you said, it's so emotionally pleasing for me when I see a Godzilla movie. Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever complained about ever having to watch or rewatch a Godzilla movie 
because I just like, yeah, Godzilla's awesome. And I'm trying to get my kids into watching Godzilla's, but they just won't, they won't take the bait like I did when I was a child. But I am trying to get them on that level because I really love Godzilla, but I don't know everything. Like, I know there's people that can tell the different suits apart in like the different eras. And I can kind of see the differences, but there's some eras where I don't know the difference and the specifics. But uh, just Godzilla for me is, it's the one of the best things that has ever happened in film history. Like Godzilla <laughs> is just like, it's the gift that keeps on giving decade after decade. You think it's gone and then it comes back in a different way. I'm not the biggest fan of the, the American uh, recent movies. I still get excited to watch those and I'm there at the theater uh, when, whenever they, you know, they release. So I, I, I get it. Like I get that kind of reluctance to like, be like, yeah, I'm a huge Godzilla fan, but then when they go, oh, well, I don't know where that movie's, where that scene is from. Like, I, I don't know specifics like that, but no, I get it. Like, I love Godzilla so much. You completely said it better than <laughs> I actually did. So this movie, I didn't have specific memories of it. It's not like I watched this movie and thought like, oh, I, that, that's right. That's awesome. That happened. I kind of didn't remember, but yeah. it it did make me feel like good like it was like it, it was good to kind of like revisit it it just brought up all those emotions um and like you know the comfort of watching it in fact i i watched it i mean kind of twice i i watched it and then that same night i just went and i watched the godzilla 1985 um i found an hd reconstruction of it that um i don't know did you watch it were you able to no, I, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I was going to ask you because you mentioned it was shorter. How much shorter is it than uh, the original Japanese version? Um, I think it's like 20 minutes or so. Oh, that's pretty. It, it's like a chunk. Yeah, we should probably want to talk about this first before we get into Godzilla 1985. But Godzilla 1985 is basically like watching a condensed version of Return of Godzilla, where okay. it, it just kind of like cuts out a lot of the dialogue and um a lot of the build-up so it, it's pretty much just all action and not all action because it's not the entire movie isn't all action i'm just saying like it's all just it's all just plot stuff and none of the character development at all oh okay got it yeah that makes sense I, the i think they did that with the original one too when they did the american version right they like pretty much yeah they cut out a lot of it they cut out a lot of it and they added raymond burr as right. eve martin and, which is what they do with Godzilla in 1985, too. They had Raymond Burr as uh, Steve Martin. I, I'm sorry. We, we should kind of talk about this. Like, I, I just want to talk about Godzilla in 1985. But, <laughs> but I, I feel like we should talk about uh, Return of Godzilla first. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, like, this movie is, is, of course, a sequel, direct sequel to the 1954 original. And it really carries on a lot of the anti-nuclear proliferation theme and the idea that Godzilla is a force of nature that you can't control. You just kind of have to learn how to coexist with it in a way mm -hmm. for years, as much as I love like the, the silly sequels. And um, for a long time, my favorite movie, I would say my favorite Godzilla movie was Godzilla versus Hedera, which is for, oh for a while, the, for a while, that was the most hated Godzilla movie. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. The smog monster. Yeah. Okay. So I, as part of the finish, cause I, I said by the 31st, I have to finish the, the remaining Godzilla movies. That's one of the ones I watched before 80, uh, this one in Shin Godzilla. And I declared that I don't remember many of the other Godzilla's outside of the first one, but I think that my favorite is that one that you just mentioned. Yeah. It, cause it's so strange. It, like that nightclub scene. I love that nightclub scene. And Hedera. 
yeah. is one of my favorite Godzilla monsters because like I I I mean it's I kind of realized it later in life but mm-hmm. I am very creeped out by blob monsters like <laughs> yeah the the 1980s blob remake terrified me the yeah, only that, yeah the only movie that's ever given me a nightmare was creep show 2 <laughs> and it, <laughs> it, was, it was the segment the raft with that like oh man like, yeah that is the only thing that ever <laughs> gave me a nightmare i had a really bad dream that i still remember vividly. yeah that's so crazy it, it, it makes sense that hatera as this floating blob of pollution is really the scariest monster to me that scene when he like drips down the stairs in the nightclub <laughs> yeah. is so un- like unsettling to me i didn't realize that that movie was not loved because i loved it like because it felt like the only one that was trying to be stylistically different and it was trying to be like oh it's even though it's from the early 70s it felt like a swinging 60s movie and it was just like oh this is so cool and psychedelic and it's very hip and they're talking about the environment and how we're destroying it and i thought that was really cool and i really connected with that and i liked it i didn't know that it was just not i was wondering about that like i wonder how other people feel about this movie you know in the in the whole godzilla canon because i loved it (laughs) yeah i i feel like when i was younger it was the one that if people were familiar with it, they would kind of be like, Ugh, or I would read some bad things about it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like in recent years, it, it, I don't know if it's been rediscovered or it's just people like me that, that kind of saw it at a young age and, and grew up with Godzilla the way I did or kind of looking at it fondly. Maybe it's just like, it's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just becoming more aware of people that like it. But it, I, I feel like when I was younger and I would tell people that my favorite was the smog monster, I'd get kind of a weird look. <laughs> oh man that sucks <laughs> but um this movie after you know it get like godzilla gets pretty silly there's lots of you know child yeah. sidekicks <laughs> <It's a little laughs> human plot. yeah um, this one i feel pretty successfully recaptures a lot of what made the original godzilla so much like so uh powerful i certainly like uh, like how the anti-nuclear proliferation is handled in this that of course, Russia and America are like, you have to nuke your city. You have to kill Godzilla. And in Japan, of course, they know what that's going to do. They, yeah, they have exactly with that. There's a scene later in the movie after the, um, the, the Russian nuke is accidentally launched. Yeah. And the Americans intercept it, but it's kind of like down to the wire. The reaction of everybody, the prime minister and everybody in the Japanese government when they're in that room and they hear that it's the missile has been intercepted nobody cheers the prime minister crumbles like you see his face like start to shake and he just sits down the 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 fact that they were like so close <laughs> to another nuclear bomb being dropped in a major japanese city and that these you know you see that this is 30 years after the first godzilla a lot of these people will have memories of if or if not memories of memories of the aftermath of the bombing of hiroshima like I thought that was a really powerful moment. I was really moved by his reaction in that. Yeah, I, I I'm glad you mentioned that because that was in my notes too. Because I, I I noticed that 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 sort of you know the fear of nuclear holocaust was so such a big deal during the Cold War and you know the 80s were really contentious time with 
so much influence of or fear of communism in the U.S. as communism is coming through uh, South and Central America. And, you know, this is really a big moment. This is post Vietnam War, a war that lasted so long, but didn't really didn't see any use of nuclear weapons. And this happens and everyone is talking for decades about this happening with, you know, with uh, the uh, the thing with Kennedy and Cuban Missile Crisis and just all these close calls for this to happen with these two superpowers. And they make an appearance in this movie. And the one thing that they can both agree on is the use of nuclear weapons in Japan. And it's so important to point out that Japan is, as, as of now, the only country to have suffered that. And you can tell just by the expression of the one re- Japanese representative that they are not looking forward to this, even if it means, you know, the reduction of Godzilla. And if you compare to the destruction that Godzilla goes through in any of the movies, there's nothing compared to the dropping of an atomic weapon on a city. And we we know from seeing pictures of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it's not, it's, it's, for the amount of time that that bomb takes to actually detonate and do this destruction is nothing compared to the destruction that Godzilla or any other creature can do. They still have to walk through a city and, you know, level it before, like this atomic weapon does it in in, in seconds. And the fear of that and that reaction at the end, I was like, well, I'm, we're so glad it, 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 it almost came to that, but it didn't. And that is such, I feel like that really encap- encapsulates the 80s feeling of nuclear weapons, you know, by this time, we're three decades in of this. And it's like, when is this going to end? Like, they talk about in the movie about how nuclear weapons haven't been used, but there's still this anxiety of them being used. And it's still like a thing that people think and talk about. And they also they, they mention that using the nuclear weapon to stop Godzilla is sort of these countries, these superpowers way of trying to test it out on a battlefield and how they never got to do it in any of the wars that, that happened between the end of world war two. And when this movie takes place, here's their chance and their opportunity to see how, you know, what the fallout of that could be, which is very unfortunate for Japan because it's like, wow, we are the testing ground for this deterrent for nuclear war that is now going to be tested on us because we want to, the, the U.S. and Russia want to stop this monster from coming to their shores. Yeah, and there's not even, there, there's not even any evidence that a nuclear weapon would do anything to Godzilla. In fact, there's actually evidence that a nuclear weapon would not <laughs> stop Godzilla. Yep. Nuclear weapons brought Godzilla about obviously but he eats radiation <laughs> like yeah <laughs> so what do you what do you think you're going to do with when you drop a nuke on him the, you have the possibility that you'll just make him stronger yeah when the first time that godzilla makes uh, you know arrives on land he goes to a nuclear power plant and it looks like he's like huffing fumes from the power plant <laughs> like you how like that's that's one of the things i didn't get like how, why did they think that that would work because it's obvious that it's not and they talk about like well it, it seems like it's eating and absorbing radiation and that's why those uh if we go back to the beginning of the movie in that opening scene with the or i guess it's the second scene but what, what the sea louse 
the reason yeah. that they got so big is because they were feeding off of Godzilla's radiation. And that that I, I know where I'm taking a uh, I, I'm t- derailing us a bit. That sea <laughs> louse scene. What a great way to start the movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I because this movie doesn't have any other monsters, but it's uh-huh. cool that it starts with a a kind of like a well a big giant gross bug that is still kind of minor and it, it builds kind of the mystery of what's going to happen we all know godzilla is going to come but you have to build some mystery before his appearance um and it keeps interest going plus i i love it when we get monsters at sea and yeah like a giant sea bug is kind of a cool like a, a cool idea for a monster plus it's that thing where i, I think we talked about it when we were talking about um the incredible drinking man on your show where oh, I, yeah yeah where there's something about godzilla is is frightening because he's so big but i would personally be more scared about something that is just a little bit bigger like uh, like like on the incredible drinking man i said if i saw a spider that was the size of a large dog it would scare me more than a spider that was as tall as a house i think Oh, I, I totally agree with that because I have lived like in really bad apartments where there's like roach problems, but it does not compare to like, like those like big outdoor roaches that I've seen like, oh, yeah. on my walk. That freaks me out more than like a small thing. It's like I can't bear like I, I can never kill one because the sound of killing one is more disturbing because of the size of it. Like I totally agree with that because I wrote in my notes that I love that opening so much because it is so horrific coming like the guy that comes like the guy that comes onto the ship and comes upon these like bodies that have been absorbed the moisture and then comes across this louse that is it's really not that big but for a louse it's pretty big and it's just so gross and just disgusting and just being in that like in a ship like you can't we're like where do you go like the is either back to your ship or into the water and it's just so disturbing and that opening is really effective and we're not even with like we're not even talking about godzilla yet we're talking about this giant like bug yeah it's just so disturbing that is a pretty good foreshadowing of the rest of the movie uh-huh. even though we don't it's not like a big creature feature we get we do get a good amount of godzilla carnage it, it is certainly isn't just like full of monsters and it yeah it features a lot of scenes of characters like kind of studying, like trying to figure out what's going on, a lot of character development and growth between the characters themselves. You know, sometimes it doesn't always work. Like I said, like some of it, I, I feel uh, lags at times and sometimes they, they're trying to go for humor that doesn't always work. But I think that the hit to miss ratio is pretty good on the hit side. Like I, yeah, yeah. I, I, found, I found myself very engaged in this in fact i was less engaged in godzilla 1985 which is just action scene after action scene that movie is shorter and quicker and i was less interested i was like i i think i was um i, I found myself wanting to look at my phone a little bit more during yeah, the american version i feel you yeah there's a couple of moments like i talked about the reaction of the prime minister this movie has some great reaction shots in it there's a scene where godzilla is is rampaging through the city and he grabs the um he grabs the elevated train like just you know like happens in a lot of well it happened in king kong so uh, he grabs the the train or the subway and he's 
he's holding it up to, up to his face and he's looking in and you see everybody in the train car is like cowering and screaming and the yeah. camera pans around and suddenly there's one guy who's just laughing and i don't know if you caught it like he's not laughing he's not Wait. laughing like he's insane he's laughing yeah like, he's laughing like oh my god i'm about to get eaten by godzilla that's fucking cool okay i remember that and i could have swore i saw several people in, in, in there laughing as well but i do remember the guy specifically and i thought that was really funny too because i didn't notice it the first time but i noticed it the, the second time i watched it i'm like why is that guy laughing like and then i start, really started to look i'm like oh it, like other people are laughing well, too i only saw him but that yeah it seems like that would actually be kind of a yeah, I don't know if that's a, a realistic reaction, but I can see people just being like, <laughs> like, oh shit, <laughs> like so overwhelmed that they're like, yeah, like there's, I, I just gotta laugh. Um, it's funny that both these movies have like a similar sort of scene with the trains. Like, I guess just a, like, a, is that a, like a trope for these monster movies? Like people on a train and the monster yeah, grabs a train. Because <laughs> you, you, <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of captive people to yeah. react and it, it looks impressive he's swinging a train car around yeah that's true yeah um but yeah i uh like the like the destruction stuff is the stuff that i like this is when i watch a godzilla movie i know that a lot of it is waiting and the stuff that i really want to see is like the destruction stuff and this movie delivers because once godzilla makes landfall like stuff goes down like it doesn't and this movie de definitely delivers. Like I'm watching this this movie, like particularly with a smile on my face, because at by the end of it, I'm like, I got what I wanted from a Godzilla movie, which is what I was hoping to get from an updated Kong movie from the '70s. It's like, okay, <laughs> maybe I'll the story in the the story might not be that great, but maybe I'll get some cool special effects and cool destruction by the end. And um, yeah, but definitely this version of Godzilla delivers on that. That that's kind of like, I think a lot of people complain about the American Godzilla movie, um, not not necessarily the Roland Emmerich movie, but the the 2014 Godzilla movie. Yeah. That that Godzilla is not in it too, that much. The human stuff is boring, and we'll probably talk about this more in our roundtable next week. But for me, like Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the human stuff is just dog shit. Like who cares about it? <laughs> Yeah, but I also feel like <clears throat> I feel like that's not necessarily a fair argument to make because almost always the human stuff is never interesting in a Godzilla movie. Yeah. Even even like the good ones, the human stuff is just like, OK, when when is Godzilla going to show up? I don't care about this. Uh, oh, no, definitely. Even even if it's good stuff, like even as like, oh, this is really good, but I'm you know, you know why I'm here. It's like going to a concert. And it's like, OK, this opening band is great, but like I'm here for like, I don't know what's a popular band now. Foo Fighters or so. I don't know. Like this is like I'm here for the like the main attraction. Like this is good, but I'm waiting for the like the real stuff to start. Yeah. And I will <laughs> say to this movie's credit. Yeah, I found myself interested in the human story oh definitely yeah not not always yeah but the human stuff i was not mad about because like i said the 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 geopolitical stuff is interesting um the reporter uh, romance thing is kind of like not as interesting but it's not uh, bad and it, it the reporter stuff and the scientist stuff is very standard like these movies always have 
either oh, yeah. a reporter or a scientist as the lead. And in this one, it's both kind of. It's just boilerplate Godzilla stuff, but it's not bad. And then it is populated by these little one-off characters or, or minor characters that I think are really fun. Like there's that that homeless guy who once the city has been evacuated is just going into the restaurant and like serving himself a meal and like acting like he's just like in charge of the place. And his reactions to Godzilla are terrific because he like Godzilla like scares him by looking in the window and he's like, what, you think you're so big? You're just an out-of-towner. Get out of here, you. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was great, yeah. Like, it's it's silly, but it, it, it was fun. I I really enjoyed it. Okay, so one of, the, one of the things that I really like about this Godzilla movie is that it sets a time limit. There is, like, going back to the nuclear warhead, it's supposed to drop in the Shinjuku region of Tokyo and they set like I think it's something like 30 minutes like we have 30 minutes to evacuate this yeah. region and they're and it's like well that's impossible we can't possibly evacuate this region so I I, 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 I do like that the movie is, is is in this it's trying to create this sort of like this uh this anxiety and this uh this pacing to the actual movie itself where it's like okay something that even though it's just Godzilla you know going through town at least there's a sort of pacing where it's like okay now we have to worry about this ticking clock in the background like what's going to happen it's not just Godzilla now it's these nuclear weapon this nuclear weapon that went off by accident and I think that's what I like about this movie because it tries to do a few different things at the same time because there is a portion of this movie where Godzilla is immobile where he's put to sleep and he collapses on this building and we are no longer focusing on Godzilla. We're just waiting on when, one, when Godzilla will move, and two, when this nuclear weapon is going to go off, if it's going to go off. That's an interesting ticking clock to this, because there's a couple of elements that go into it. Like, the switch to fire the nuclear weapon is on a Russian ship that yeah. is, I, I believe, sunk by Godzilla. And the captain stays behind, and he's really trying to stop this launch from happening. He has to go and stop it before the ship goes down. And he almost gets there. And he's, he's got like a line of dialogue. He's like, I got to get in there. I got to stop it. And then he, he there's a little explosion, and he dies. And mm -hmm. then the countdown starts. Like, his body is just there as the countdown is going on. And so it right. doesn't happen right away. But we come back to it a bit, and then the countdown gets to zero and the nuke launches and everybody realizes what's happened it, it, it's an interesting added element uh, of tension because yeah Godzilla gets put down and you think like well if it wasn't for this nuke maybe we could take care of Godzilla right now but also the idea that Godzilla is a force of nature that is destroying a city but he's destroying a city in the way like a, a tsunami or an earthquake would where you can't control it a lot of the stuff is made worse by human interference and humans trying to stop it because mm -hmm, yeah. if they hadn't dropped that nuke, Godzilla could have been out for quite a while. They could have, you know, figured out something to do with him. But it's the nuclear weapon and the radiation that revives Godzilla. Yeah. And so it, it was interesting to me that just as much, like the geopolitical stuff, like man kind of squabbling with how to do it. Well, that's what Shin Godzilla is completely, not in a completely different way, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I I recently rewatched uh, Shin Godzilla and it, and it focus. I didn't like it focuses a lot on like almost like the bu bureaucracy of like trying to solve a problem like uh because it's handled in that movie like a, like you said like a natural disaster, which is how it's kind of handled in Godzilla in this version of Return of Godzilla, 
And it's just like them taking a lot of time to figure out how to solve this problem while, you know, cities and people are di- like cities are being destroyed and people are dying. So the end of this movie, when they finally like, they, they kind of lure Godzilla to a volcano and, and blow up the ground underneath him. So he falls in, although it kind of looks like he jumps as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's a little, he's a little dazed. It looks like, but he, he jumps in. I keep talking about the reactions. I like how everybody in this movie reacts. Like nobody seems happy that Godzilla is dead. Everybody is completely awed at watching this gigantic, this gigantic God (laughs) to, to, you know, his name um, just die. Like imagine you've killed God basically. (laughs) Like uh, I'm not killed because Godzilla, we know is going to come back. But still, like everybody is, is a little, very moved by it. There's a mix of re- of emotion in everybody. Like they're they're taking it yeah. very seriously. I yeah, I, th- I feel like that goes back to what what they discuss in the movie as Godzilla as a force of nature. Like it, it's this large monster that's sort of it is from the earth, but it's also created by us and it's destroying cities, but, you know, it's a creature after all with, you know, its own thoughts and things like that. So there's this conflict at the end where, you know, where you're kind of tricking this creature into to falling into its own death. And I think it goes, it kind of, it, it goes back to, to, to one of the lines of the movie where they say the world is out of balance and it's this sort of, conflict between nature and the nuclear era that 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 we've been that you know the people have been living through during this era and it's 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 and it is something that i think and it's probably the only highlight of the 1998 godzilla version uh the ending where it's killed on that bridge that you do sort of feel bad because i don't think that these creatures really know what they're doing and because they're so large and, you know, they, to them, their self is, it's, it's all, it really, it's about a matter of perspective. And it's just this giant creature versus humanity, which we are accustomed to and we know about because we are human beings and how different these worlds are from like a giant being like Godzilla to, to, to like, you know, people in a city. It's, it's it's not they're not really running on the intent of trying to wipe out a whole race or a whole species of people is this is they're sort of feeding off like their natural sort of impulse that it's you know they're trying to survive and they're trying to live and the human way is sort of getting in the way of that and and i think that clashes really well in uh, Return of Godzilla. And that's what I really like. And I, I think this movie and just, you know, the whole world out of balance line from the movie, I think is kind of like a cry for help of that era. <laughs> like, like we're, you know, the world is, <laughs> the world is not in the best place that it could be, you know, in the mid eighties. And it just sounds like a cry, a cry of help to me. Like, <laughs> like, the world needed something in that time. And I think that's why this movie is so, I think, impactful, even though as far as the Godzilla movie is not the best, but there's a message there. And it really reflects the times, I think, in a way that, I don't know, in a way that a B movie really usually doesn't do. Like it just, it really, I I really like this movie. And 
it's just the way that it captures the cold war era like it's just it does it so perfectly and it, all that anxiety and just the zeitgeist in in that in that time it just did something about this movie that really works and and really captures that yeah agreed so this movie was successful like modestly successful from what i can tell but a bit of a disappointment considering it was the 30th anniversary and you know it wasn't like a humongous hit so toho licensed return of godzilla to new world pictures to create a an american version that could be released theatrically and gain back some of that money so we got godzilla 1985 highly edited they took out um over 20 minutes of footage but they added some in so it, it, it's more or less like uh 18 minutes i think of shorter than the original version and like i said it's the first one i ever saw it it's not really available anymore it, it's only been on vhs it gets aired on television sometimes but it's also a little bit different than the original version it doesn't have subtitles for the russians which i believe the original godzilla 1985 did what i ended up watching it on i can put a link up there is somebody did an hd reconstruction of it where they took elements from the uh, blu-rays for return of godzilla um, an HD broadcast of this, and they added some subtitles in. They re-synced re, uh, some music, because most of the reason this isn't available on DVD or Blu-ray, um, people are saying it's most likely due to rights to the music, because New World Pictures reused parts of Christopher Young's score for DEFCON 4, and uh, they may not have the rights to that anymore. I'm, I'm kind of giving a lot of information, but I found that funny when I found that they had used Christopher Young's score, because the theme to Return of Godzilla actually sounds quite a lot like Christopher Young's theme for Hellraiser. And I thought when I was watching Return of Godzilla that maybe my version had the wrong music and they were actually using Christopher Young's score. Uh, but it's not. It, the Return of Godzilla theme is just very much like Hellraiser. Not completely. It's just kind of the instrumentation and the, the, uh, the I, I don't know anything about music, but just kind of the note structure. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the music really quick, the, the song at the uh, at the end of the movie, the end credits, is <laughs> yes. really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> I left the credits running just so I can hear that. And then I, because I have this one on Blu-ray and it plays throughout the main menus of that too. So when it reset back to the, the title, I left that playing for a while because I'm like, I really like whatever this is. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's another like, it, it, what it, what are the lyrics? It's like, goodbye, Godzilla, Godzilla yeah. goodbye, you again, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. It is good. It is good. So um, I, I, just to talk about some of the differences in Godzilla 1985, like I said, it's like watching a condensed version of this plot. But then there's Raymond Burr in a room with some other American actors basically watching Godzilla on TV. 
Like <laughs> it doesn't add anything to the story. In Godzilla yeah. King of the Monsters, Raymond Burr is actually like talking to some characters, mainly on phone. They filmed some stuff to make you know, so he's in Japan. This he's basically in a in a basement with a bunch of other actors in military garb watching what's going on in Japan. It's so awkward. The setting is so anonymous. It's filmed in a completely different style. Like the lighting, the color steam, and even the film stock is different. Mm -hmm. And it never stops being awkward. It's so, like, it just is so bizarre. I have to watch this version now. It also, it makes the Russians much more villainous. The scene where the Russian soldier dies trying to stop the nuclear launch, they cut it down and they retranslate it. So he is saying, I have to launch this nuke. That is so crazy. And then he that, launches it. Because <laughs> that is like so not the context of like what he's trying to do in the original. That's crazy. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. also some really bad comedic relief where there's like this red haired lieutenant, like young kid who's like saying horrible things. Like he's watching Godzilla destroy Tokyo. And he says like, oh God, what's his line? Where he's like, uh, one hell of an urban renewal project they have in Japan. <laughs> Uh, and then the movie ends with a voiceover from Raymond Burr because the military goes to him because Raymond Burr has experience with Godzilla. Oh, yeah. and they tie in. So when Japan calls to see if the Americans do can do anything about the missile, they tie that in by having actors on the set in this in Amer uh, Godzilla 1985 on the other end of that phone call. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I like that. <laughs> no, no. But <laughs> Raymond Burr does nothing to the movie. He gives no information. There's no effect at all to the plot, but he ends with a vo voiceover. And I'm going to add in the vo audio. I'm going to add the audio into the show so people can hear it. Nature has a way sometimes of reminding man of just how small he is. She occasionally throws up the terrible offsprings of our pride and carelessness to remind us of how puny we really are in the face of a tornado an earthquake or a Godzilla. It does. It definitely does feel like they dumbed down the message of the movie for an American audience. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Because all of that is in there, but it's just like, we don't need, you know, we don't need all that. Like we get it off of context from the movie itself. <laughs> like it's there. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, so I, I, do you have anything else you want to say about Godzilla 1985? Um, no. Well, I guess one last thing. Uh, just uh, in the movie itself, they have the the Japanese have a weapon to fight Godzilla, which is I think it's called Super X. It's this, this flying like uh, like ship thing that uh, Godzilla does a really good job in just eliminating very quickly uh by uh disabling the the machine and then dropping an entire building on uh there's there's their weapon that they mentioned throughout the movie i just thought that was very comical that the way that that was handled i thought that was cool yeah no it's, it's... <laughs> apparently the new world pictures their original concept was they were going to get leslie nielsen and do a comedic take on this they were going to basically insert leslie nielsen into the movie and do a fake translation so it would be kind of like, it would be kind of like, what's up, Tiger Lily? Yeah, yeah. Oh my I don't God. want to mention Woody Allen on the show right now. Yeah. <laughs> but That's so weird. And then Raymond Burr convinced them, no, it needs to be more serious like the original. And yeah, and got himself into the movie. Yeah. Watching Godzilla in 1985, I think I'd prefer to have seen the Leslie Nielsen version, honestly. 
it it because the Godzilla 1985 is just not good. Yeah, but it was my introduction to Godzilla, so uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Maybe that's you know I I now have this HD file on my computer, so there you go. I'm glad I have it. Yeah, I I I, I am still curious because I, I I think the first version of Godzilla that I did watch was King of the Monsters, and that's the one I knew for the longest time until I watched the the original. But just to, I guess, to complete like that arc of how this is tied into the original, I would want to watch the the Raymond Burr version. Yeah, because it's interesting yeah. that the first Godzilla movie, you know, they they made the American version, so then they made the American version. Yeah, that as well. That's kind of a it yeah. is kind of a nice mirror, but mm-hmm. it's a, well, it's a failure. yeah. They they even show like the 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 pictures that they show uh, i forget which character but they're pictures from the original Godzilla yeah the the Raymond Burr version does put footage of Godzilla 1954 uh-huh. into it it does it does kind of have flashbacks to that that version yeah. which i don't remember being in return of godzilla right all right well let's take a little break we'll be right back we'll have our top 5s sort of of the week Okay, so we're back. We're going to be talking our top fives, sort of. I said sort of earlier, and I'm going to explain that a little bit right now. Next week, our roundtable episode is going to be episode 26. That's going to be six-month mark for doing this show. And I've been thinking a little bit about some changes to the format. One of the things that I want to change, and I'm, I'm still not settled on it yet, is this top fives. I want to, I want to make it a little bit looser. Um, not necessarily just five within the theme of the episode, but you know something else, some 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 rec- form of recommendation still. But I'm trying to think of what to do with it, and so we're starting to do things a little differently. So we're kind of changing the top fives this time. It is, I think, mine's a little bit structured. I'm going to go with uh, other kaiju movies, not necessarily Godzilla. There will be a couple of Godzillas in here, but I'm going to go with some other rubber suit monster movies. So not even like giant monster movies these could just they're just people in rubber suits my first one is matongo curse of the mushroom people which is another ishiro hondo movie it's got a couple of titles there's there's curse of and attack of the mushroom people i believe i think attack is the american dub which is just a little bit shorter but not like drastically it's really creepy like this movie really disturbed me. It's, it's, they, you know, it, it, they come across these fungus monsters and they start kind of becoming fungus monsters themselves. Like it spreads and it's really disturbing. And it's based on this uh, short story by William Hope Hodgson, who was kind of a, a weird ho- cosmic horror author in the early 1900s, a, a big influence on Lovecraft. It, it, uh, yeah, it's really good. It's really dark. It's really creepy. Like as, as one of the most disturbing rubber suit monster movies I've ever seen. Yeah, you mentioned that to me and I looked it up and it looked really creepy. There's a thing about like that I have about mushrooms is someone once told me that they're less like plants and more like people. And I was like, should I be eating mushrooms on my pizza? <laughs> it's just it's like, it's just so weird. When once I found that out, I'm like, they're less like plants. So I'm like, okay, like mushrooms is just so weird to me now. <laughs> so yeah. I, I definitely have to check that out. But um, um, 
I guess uh, I can go right for my yeah, yeah, top for five. Well, mine is more all over the place. It was uh, more things that were inspired by this week's viewings. And I- I'm going to give one that we already talked about on this episode, but I'm going to uh, go with uh, Godzilla versus uh, Hitera, which is, uh, like I said, my favorite, I think, as of now, uh, Godzilla movie. And I just like the environmentalist sort of point of view and how weird and very 60s it was for a 70s movie and i i just thought it was cool and it was fun i like the idea of the spog monster because most of the monsters in the godzilla movies are other creatures that have been you know either created or from another planet or have grown to unusual proportions and this one has a different sort of monster that is created by the conditions of the time and yeah, that's my, that's that's my that's my movie for that one. That one's a great one. Plus, I I really like the asymmetrical look of Hadera. Yeah, uh, that it, it is just kind of like this weird drooping monster. I I, I think mm-hmm. it's really cool. My next one is also another Godzilla film. It's actually the next Godzilla film. So this one may have been a bit of a disappointment. It maybe didn't connect with audiences as much as Toho wanted it to. But the next one, they knocked it out of the park with 1989's Godzilla versus Biollante. And that has another like all-time great monster, the design of Biollante and the changes it goes through. Plus, it, it's super goofy. That that gets Godzilla yeah. back to being goofy. But it it's also like some of the great, greatest like effects. I just love the look of it and the fights. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. I don't own it. I'm very upset that I I passed up buying the Blu-ray years ago, and it's now out of print. Yeah, I I agree that that is a really good one too. I uh, I think that it is a better version of of uh, Hidora, and but it it the different. Yeah, it's it's a really good movie. I was really actually impressed by that one. I thought it was great. All right, what you got next? Oh yeah, um, so uh, just continuing. Uh, m- most of the the movies on my my top five are Japanese, but just to change it up a bit, the next one, as we're talking about movies that uh, deal with giant monsters, um, and I hope you didn't choose this one, but I'm going with the Korean movie from 2006, The Host by uh, uh, Bong Joon-ho, which is uh, a movie that I took a really long time to finally sit down and watch. But when I finally did watch it, I was totally blown away by the movie. And it was another one of those sort of giant monster environmentalist movie that, movies that I really liked. But yeah, the host, uh, not to be confused with the, the one that came out later with uh, Sir Shah Ronan, uh, but uh, seek out the 2006 uh, version uh, with uh, directed by from Korea. And it is a fantastic giant monster movie that was, I, I think, very well made it's legit a a good monster movie but it's also like legitimately like a good movie just overall that movie is great i'm surprised it took you so long to see it i just that movie i used to just put that on in that first half hour just like really exciting just really gets the blood yeah yeah i think like i knew about this movie since it, it came out and i don't think i watched it until like maybe like 2015 it just it, it it's like oh yeah I'll get to it I heard it's great and then I finally had to sit down and watch it and I was like why did I wait so long it's just it's it's one of those it's like it was so, it, it was just so good it was it was great 
So I kind of lied at the beginning where I said that I'm doing kaiju or rubber suit monster movies. I, I think I'm I think I'm loosening up my structure here a little bit. Whatever, this is my show. So we talked about King Kong remake. We talked about the both remakes. We talked about the original. If you want another Kong movie that it maybe isn't the classic that the first one is, but is still like I found very fun, uh, Son of Kong. The it was released nine months after King Kong. It is very short. It's an hour and 10 minutes. Um, it is straight up more of a comedy. Some of it's a little too goofy, but I, I liked the setup, like the the plot for how, what's happening. Because in Son of Kong, Carl Denham is basically being hounded by everybody in New York wanting to get like he's being sued by everybody for all the damages. He's destitute. He's hiding in this like apartment he's rented in some old lady's house he basically joins up with the captain from the boat the skipper from the boat in the first movie because they have a friendship and spends some time as like just hauling freight he's just like a partner in this freight company and they're boating all over the world and they get they end up going back to skull island to find some treasure very like still a lot of like really fun uh stop motion more dinosaurs a smaller kong a lot more humor but I found it to be very fun. Not nearly on the level of King Kong, but still a lot of fun and very surprising. And I actually only just watched it a few days ago, well, just this weekend, watching it uh, after I watched Kong and uh, uh, the remake. Yeah, I, I actually did watch this movie this week too uh, in preparation for the for the show. And uh, yeah, it was it was is it's definitely a different approach to you know the original but uh i appreciate a lot of stuff i think i really like the fact that carl denham's character is back and and he's sort of dealing with the fallout he's dealing with the fallout of the first movie which is i i, I think is great and he's you know he's being sued and he's <laughs> I like he's you know he's he goes back to to skull island and it's just it's it's an interesting movie and I never, I never knew that there was a sequel to the original Kong, and it, this one I, I, I saw it on HBO Max, and I enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. And, it, and like you said, it's very short. Yeah, I, I almost recommended Mighty Joe Young, which I, which um, actually yeah. I'm in the middle of rewatching. I had to stop it to the original. Do this, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. All right, so next up, uh, watching uh, Godzilla movies. Uh, led me to watching some other Japanese works, uh, which led to a trilogy that I did not know existed. Uh, it's called the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. And the, the, the I've only seen the first movie so far, but I really enjoyed it. It's called The Vampire Doll, uh, which is also known as in uh, here in the US as Legacy of Dracula. Um, and it's this trilogy of vampire movies that uh, as far as I know, don't really have much to do with Dracula, <laughs> uh, but they're really, uh, really cool 60s, uh, sorry, 70s, early 70s movies that I actually really enjoyed. It's for, the first one is very short. I think it's like an hour and 10 minutes, but uh, it was it had some spooky stuff. Uh, one really gory scene that I was not expecting that I really enjoyed. But uh, these can be found on Amazon Prime and on Tubi. Uh, the whole trilogy is on there and just uh, type in Vampire Doll. Yeah, it was really cool and not expecting much from these movies, but I really enjoyed them. Amazing. Yeah, I've never heard of them. And I just looked it up and that looks great. 
You, okay, you, Aaron, I got to tell you, because I thought maybe you had heard of this, but you have to watch at least the first one because I just finished finished this recently and I, I really liked the first movie so far. And yeah, they, like I'm excited to watch the, the next two. So if you watch them, let me know and then we can talk about them. Okay, I will. <laughs> I, I I might I might put those in this week. Like this week is all all kaiju all the time in yeah. Godzilla vs Kong. Mm-hmm. However, I did watch on Arrow the the Invisible Man appears. There's there's the Invisible Man appears and the Invisible Man versus the Human Fly, mm-hmm. which are are two early Japanese special effects movies. The first one, the one I just watched, is very much kind of the H.G. Wells Invisible Man crossed with a uh, kind of a Japanese gangster film. Yeah. Um, like a, a Diamond Thief storyline. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. But um, but it was still like, it was really cool. And so the sequel, and I'm I'm kind of, uh, I, I took a break for those. So maybe I'll take a break and watch this as well. Cause that look, that sounds great. <laughs> Let me know, man. Cause I want to hear your thoughts on, the, uh, on on these films. I will, I will. All right, so my next one, I almost went with Gap. Uh, uh, sorry, a Gamera film. I couldn't decide which one to to do though, because I haven't seen a lot of the Showa. I've seen a couple of the Showa era Gamera films, and I've seen the Heisei trilogy. Um, I own that on Blu-ray, and I, I like them. I just couldn't think of one to to pick. And I'm yeah. gonna, that, that's one thing I want to do this week is uh, I'm going to watch all the Gamera movies on the Arrow app. But, hey, I recently found out that I actually own all of them on Blu-ray, except maybe one of the like the last one. But I was I was looking at them and then I looked up on IMDb and I have all of them. Yeah. yeah. There's, <laughs> there's not as many as you'd think. But yeah. Um, so instead, I, I was like I was thinking about it and then I, I realized, wait, there is another giant turtle movie that is ridiculous that I have a indefensible love for. <laughs> like, I love this movie. It is terrible. And that is the Bermuda Depths. Uh, hey, what is it called? The Bermuda Depths uh-huh. from 1978. Wow. It is a co-production between Rankin Bass and a Japanese uh, production company. I love this already. Have you seen it? No, I have not, but I love this already. <laughs> it's a Rankin. I'm down. It's a live action film. It's a TV uh-huh. movie. It, it, okay. Two weeks before I was born, but I saw it sometime <laughs> in the 80s. And I love it so much. It's so goofy, though. It's a love story about this guy coming back to this kind of like seaside town he used to live in as a kid. And there was like this otherworldly little girl that he used to play with. And they had kind of a like a a slightly romantic relationship, although they were both too young for it to be anything more than they're just like like the, the kind of relationship like we'll get married when we grow up kind of thing. But there's something mysterious about her. There's also a very giant like a giant tortoise that appears every once in a while, a very <laughs> kaiju-like giant turtle. I remember yeah. there's one scene where it it takes down a helicopter. I love it so much, and it's not very good. I don't know, I don't know how people that didn't like see this as a kid will feel about it. But the Warner Archive released a DVD of it a few years ago. It was one of the like first bit like first year of Warner Archive titles, and as soon as it was, I saw that it was announced. I was like, holy shit, buy this now. <laughs> Nice. I, I, I wrote that down because I want to check this out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's cheesy 78 TV movie. Like, there's yeah. some the, probably some cheesy romance. Carl Weathers is in it as well. <laughs> That's great. It, it's I like it a lot. Yeah, nice. All right, what do, what do you uh, got? All right, so next up, I uh, my uh, 
my eldest is uh, really getting into anime and I wanted to show her a movie that I had watched when I was a teenager that was a uh, Japanese anime that I actually kind of watched by accident thinking it was the original version of this movie, but uh, it's the 2001 version of Metropolis, which um, is a sort of loose, very loose remake of the 1927 silent film. Uh, this one uh, is from 2001, uh, directed by Rintaro, but it is, having not seen it since I was a teenager, I really enjoyed it and she seemed to love it and even took some inspiration on her uh, uh, style as far as clothing goes from that movie, which made me feel really proud because I don't feel like a lot of people have seen the, this version of Metropolis, but it's a really interesting anime uh, from Japan. And yeah, it was actually very good. And they even, the kids even watched it again on their own, which is a very, like very proud uh, father moment that I had when I came home from work. I'm like, what are you guys doing in my room? It's like, oh, we're watching this. We don't have a Blu-ray player in our room. So we're watching this in your room. And yeah, it just felt great. It's like, whoa, awesome. I We just watched this movie a few days ago and you guys are watching it again. I love it. That's great. I actually, <laughs> I love this movie. I just showed it to my daughter a couple months ago. Oh, really? No way. Yeah. And oh, shit. This movie is so great. I have yeah. the soundtrack on my, on my iTunes still. I oh, my I God. CD. I have the CD, but I love the music so much. Yes, I I didn't I didn't notice the music when I was younger, but when I watched it this time, I was like, wow, this soundtrack is really good. It's like New Orleans like jazz, and yeah, I found it on Apple Music, and I immediately added it on there. It's so good. Yeah, Great there's music, a moment. Yeah. There's a moment at the end. Mm, yeah, gives me chills. Like yeah, watching it. holy cow! I we watched it twice the first night because I got it when it first came out on DVD. I was working at Suncoast. Uh huh. And me and my 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 current spouse my then girlfriend uh <laughs> like we we watched it twice because that like yeah everything about that movie that's great it, it's yeah movie. it's so good uh, like i love how much they explore the city like the actual city in that movie and how there's different levels and just i feel like it does go more in depth into like the the social and economic aspects that I feel like some of the like Metropolis doesn't really fully delve into and it, this movie does that really well and then that ending and then there's like a I think it's a Ray Charles song that plays yeah. uh, in, the, in the ending it's so great and so perfect and unexpected like I didn't think I would hear a Ray Charles song <laughs> in you know in a Japanese anime and it just works so perfectly that's that's what I'm talking about when I first yeah. saw the, when I first saw the movie and that song came on mm -hmm. I got chills and Oof. we were both stunned. We both, yeah. I think I actually like made a noise. I was just like, oh, like <laughs> it, 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 I mean, I'm sorry to spoil it. Maybe I'll cut yeah. that part out and people can yeah. be surprised, but it's <laughs> Yeah, um, it's, it's great. So uh, my last pick, I, here I am like uh, changing things <laughs> on the fly, trying to be as random as possible. Cause I really want this to be like a, like, I, I like it when the lists are really random. Uh -huh. um, so I'm going to go with a movie, a 1970s movie with stop motion that is much smaller, much cheaper, much more amateurishly made than King Kong. And yet I would rather watch it again. Uh, if I have if I have a choice, I am watching this. I'm watching Planet of Dinosaurs before I watch King Kong. Uh, Planet oh. of Dinosaurs, not Planet of the Dinosaurs. It is Planet of Dinosaurs. 
1977, very low budget science fiction film where some a, a crew, uh, basically a, a shuttle crew crash lands on a planet that is exact, almost exactly like Earth, but millions of years behind in terms of evolution. It's really super cheap, which makes it very surprising when some top-notch claymation dinosaurs and insects show up. Uh, you can, I think you can find copies of it. It's not the best in terms of quality, like the prints are pretty faded, but the stop motion blew me away because of how kind of cheap and amateurish most of the rest of the movie is. Seeing this stuff is like, wow, that is top notch. It's certainly better than I think than anything in King Kong. Maybe I'm being, maybe I'm just trying to, <laughs> Kong, but I, I liked it a lot. Is this the one from 70, 1977? Yes. Okay. Because I, 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 I have a thing for like the movies, like with dinosaurs and stuff. I had recently watched um, uh, One Million Years BC and uh, oh, the, yeah. one, the one that that's based off of too. And I, I, I didn't really care for the movies. I just really liked the, the monster stuff, like the dinosaur stuff in the movies. Oh, and, and, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean to interrupt. You can go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah, that was it. I just really liked the dinosaur stuff in those movies. Okay, um, so it looks like Planet of Dinosaurs is rentable Ooh, from hell yeah. almost everything else. But on YouTube, if you look up Creature Features, which is a, uh, I think I might have mentioned it in one of our previous episodes. Yeah, they covered. They do. They do watch Planet of Dinosaurs. Nice. You might get a better print if you rent it from Amazon. But yeah, <laughs> if you watch the Creature Features, like that's a fun show. Um, yeah. It also has like a really, really cool odd score like very early synthesizer score that yeah. is kind of it's kind of atonal at times but mm -hmm. watching it as well i was like this soundtrack is actually pretty good I, <laughs> I went and i you can find the soundtrack on youtube and i was just like listening to music afterwards oh that's great yeah i gotta check this out i'm glad it's available um yeah me too all right. um all right so my last one uh, is uh, very different from everything else, but it is uh, a movie that I've been trying to watch for a while. And because I was on a Japanese kick, I figure I'd check it out. But uh, it is uh, called Violent Cop. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, I'm familiar with it. I have not seen it. Okay. It is on, I, I, I watched it on Tubi. It might be on Amazon as well, but I really like Takeshi Kitano and... I figured why not just you know get it out of the way and watch this it's his first movie as a director and it is uh if you're looking for like a violent uh, a, like you know action cop movie uh i think this movie delivers on a lot of levels i i found it very entertaining and um i i really enjoyed it like it, it's super violent and you know some stuff is unsettling but it's not it's not the worst and it's not the most uh, intense or graphic but yeah, I kind of I like this better than the second movie that I watched, uh, Boiling Point, which it was a really weird tonal shift when I watched this movie. And this, I feel like this one, Violent Cop, was a little bit more consistent as far as tone goes. And, you know, he would go on to direct more focused, concise movies like Fireworks and uh, Sona, what's it called? Sona? Sonatine or Sonatine, and that was really good. And and yeah, it's just yeah. And Sadoichi. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, Sadoichi. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's one of the 
that's another movie that I, I think if you're looking for a, a, like an action cop sort of movie, then Violent Cop is a good one. Well, five good recommendations. Uh, no, I, I, those are all good choices. I like those. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. God damn, I have got to watch Vampire Doll. I might watch that tonight. <laughs> please, if you watch it, please let me know because I'm dying to hear your thoughts because I really enjoy that movie. All right, well, um, yeah. shit, yeah, watch it. Maybe, maybe, maybe that'll be cover our next. Episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, well, so that's gonna pretty much do it for us. Thank you once again for coming back. It is always a pleasure when you're here. I like, like you say, you haven't haven't been on here in a while i haven't been on years in a while and i was thinking like i want to talk to carlos about some movies again <laughs> yeah uh no i i uh yeah i've been holding off because like my schedule right now is like well if i like because i'm always really eager to like send people lists to pick from like categories to pick from but then i gotta tell them like well i'm like i have episodes already lined up so we won't record for a month so i've been trying to hold off before i let anyone else know like all right you can pick a category because now i think i'm getting to a time like okay i can hit up aaron i'm like hey pick something new and then we'll record in a week or two where you don't have to like wait like a whole month or two before we actually record so you will i will be sending you categories soon as soon as you know i'm like running low on episodes that way i can get back into it again <laughs> oh no no anytime anytime i understand yeah I'm, there's, there's guests i really want to have back on but i'm also yeah i'm, I'm also trying to kind of like um to to i'm trying to keep a balance between new guests and repeat guests mm -hmm. yeah so I, I like yeah i get it i get it <laughs> uh yeah so everybody check out dial f for film podcast it remains uh it well it remains one of my favorites um thank you yeah it's a really fun show to be on it's a really fun show to listen to so go ahead and check that out uh do you want to send people to get towards twitter or anything to follow yeah, well, you can follow me at Menjivar, M-E-N-J-I-V-A-R, Jaime, uh, J-A-I-M-E. Uh, that's my handle on Twitter. And then uh, you can just, just look for the podcast and you'll find me. But <laughs> the podcast is uh, at Dial F Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And yeah, and I, I, I try to keep, I, I, I've been trying lately to post more videos and stuff like that for each episode and just try to keep it more creative and interesting and trying to change things up on the podcast uh, as far as how I uh, handle some of the movies that are selected for every week. Either I'll have a guest pick a favorite movie, pick a category, or I'll have them pick a movie from the list as well. Uh, but yeah, we're still trying to cover the 1001 movies you must see before you die the 2017 edition. And we're, you know, there's different, a lot of different kind of movies and Aaron will be back soon to talk about the original Godzilla, although that is not actually in the list of the current, the, of the edition that I'm using. A shame. Right? Yeah, which is, it, it is a shame because I was so confident when he brought it up that it was in there. And when I actually looked, I was very surprised that it's not, but I have a feeling that maybe it was in other editions and uh, there must be a reason why it's gone, but I, I'm going to do research on that before that episode drops. But yeah, it's very disappointing because I feel like that is a big deal as it far is. as kaiju movies. Yeah, like it is 20 years, about 20 years after King Kong, but I don't think like the kaiju craze really came until Godzilla's release and how many sequels that movie spawned. But uh, yeah, I, it's just, it's a, it's a crazy thing. There are movies in here that, in this book that are not, that should be, but 
once I finish the 1001 movies, I think I will explore movies. I will have probably like my guests come up with one movie that they feel should be in this. And I guess I'm doing that with Aaron soon with Godzilla, but um, yeah, that's something to look forward to in the future. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at two headed pod. And there is a Facebook page, which I, I do try to add stuff to. So if you got, you want to follow, you want to get any information, that would be the place to do it. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe. I think right now I'm very close to a thousand downloads total. And I, I, I'm thinking maybe I want to like try and get something to try and get to a, a thousand for six months. Ooh, nice. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I just see people posting all this stuff like, like follow me back for this. And I'm like, why can't I do that? Why do I feel weird doing that? Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel, always feel weird like over promoting. And I feel like I used to over like promote more than I do now. But it's like, yeah, it's like, when does it become too much? Because I'm posting on my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram and the, the some of the same people are on all three. It's like, when are people going to get tired of it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you can check us out there. And as always, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week.